and staying a little bit reserved with the loading, never with the never with the training intensity. Uh, you know that that should never have come to the equation, but more so with the loading. I, I think that is always going to reap the rewards because if you can stay a little bit more reserved with loading, pay more focus and pay more attention into the execution. You control over the movements and intensity with that, I think you'll get much bigger rewards because let me tell you one thing, right? And I, I truly believe that. It's much harder to go all out into a set with all out intensity and not lose control. What's up? Welcome back to Blood, Sweat and Gear with coaches Skip Hill, Andrew Barry. I'm Scott McNeely. And today we are joined by gym owner, trainer and just all-around badass bodybuilder, Kuba Chellen. What's up, man? Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, guys. It's a, it's a massive honor. Dude, I, I think you... Go ahead. Skip and, uh, Skip and Andrew, both legends. And so, so are you. So are you <laughs> yourself. So, Thank you. Uh, but, you know, Skip's been around for so many years. It's, it's quite nostalgic because he actually coached and fails. He coached Jordan back in the day. So it's, uh, it, you it's coached crazy Jordan? to go around because yeah. back in those yeah. days, back in those days, I was literally a kid. So it's... Uh, you know, it's amazing to be sat here, being able to speak to you guys. Well, we're happy yeah, to have you, man. For more money to you. That's so <laughs> And no, we're I catching Kuban vacation right now, or holiday, as they say in the UK. You're over in Spain. You gave us a, give us another look. Where, where are you at right now? We just saw like so, some boats and stuff out there. So this is actually, uh, oh wow. So yeah. it's, uh, it's Marbella and I'm just off Puerto Benus, however you call it. But yeah, it's quite cool. It's it's a really nice place, really really nice place. Nice. It's uh, especially this time of the year because it, there's not many parties going. It's nice and quiet, and the weather is actually really good because it's not too hot, and it's not too cold. Like right now, it's probably like ninety degrees Celsius, so it's really comfortable. Whereas in UK, it's extremely miserable. So yeah, yeah. a week a week a week here whilst I'm deloading is going to be amazing. That'll be good, man. That'll be good. And you said that uh, Dorian's out there. You might try to connect with him, get a workout in. That would be awesome, man. That would be legendary. I hope you get that on video for the YouTube channel. Yeah, so he's uh, he actually lives here, and he trains in the gym that's 10 minutes away from here, uh, M13. I've, actually, I think it's a 10-minute it's a walk from here, so it's really, really close. I'm training down Friday, so I'm going to – I'm actually doing legs on Friday, so I'm going to see if he's available for a PT session. Hell yeah. Uh, I, I, I am hoping – I am hoping is, and if he is – You'll definitely get to see it. That'll be cool. So we got a bunch of stuff we're going to talk about today. Um, but of course, Kuba is so passionate about training. I just kind of had a lead topic that I wanted to bring up. And that is, you know, you see a lot of people, you see a lot of people training both in your gym, on Instagram, at, throughout your travels. I wanted to ask you this. What are the biggest mistakes that you see people make training in the gym both new guys and experienced guys. So it's kind of like a, a twofold question. New guys walk into the gym and they look at the guys that are already big. They've built enough size and they're quite strong, right? And the new guys already think, right, for me to look like this, I'm going to have to lift the same load that this guy is. And as you can imagine, when you start going to the gym, it's everything you do is like Bambi and Ash, right? You've got no skill in training whatsoever. So going into any lift, even a machine that, that's a fixed movement pattern, your body still doesn't recognize and doesn't know what it's actually doing, right? So I do think people try to run before they can walk. I do think any beginner, any true beginner should really start with basic movements, the bread and butter movements. I think everybody should learn how to squat, deadlift and bench at least safely because building those foundations and even learning how to brace effectively that will only set them up for future and it will only keep them much safer in the training as they progress and as they get more advanced. So I do believe if people try to slow down a little bit and start from scratch, I think that would help. Now, I'll, I'll give you a little story, right? When I first started training legs at the gym that I started, the first bodybuilding gym that I went to, Bruno's back in, back in the day, I was 15 years old, coming in with a school uniform and still, <laughs> and I start, I start, I start training legs with the cleaner, the cleaner of the gym, right? And I kid you not, for the first six months, I literally squatted the bar for the first six months, nothing more. No kidding. Until, until I was actually able to squat all the way down, ass to grass and get 10 to 15 reps. And that was a 20 kilo bar, right? And then I've actually got some pictures like 16, 17, over a year, 
I was doing three and a half plates and then four plates when I was like 17 squats for reps, right? But would I have been able to do that if I just started piling on the weight before actually learning how to do movement first? Absolutely not. So, and, and this kind of follows on with what advanced people get wrong because if you sometimes can take a bit of a, a reserved approach and take a step back and try and learn the movement, you will only be able to progress much more off the back of that and you will be able to stay safer doing so as well over time. Yeah. So I think the learning part should ever come first, should come first. And the biggest mistake more advanced people do as well is again, rushing the loading. This is why you see so many people get injuries. Yeah. They try to chase a certain load for sake of for sake of chasing load. And that's where the form slips, the execution slips, the control slips. And this is where pec tears happen. This is where tendon tears happen. I have never ever seen anyone tear a muscle that has complete control over that movement ever right. in my life. Yeah. The only time of people, the only time I've seen people tear the shit, and believe me now, I have speak, I've I have spotted people tearing the shit, and I've seen so many people tear the shit in the gym. It's it's unbelievable, and the sound that you hear from a pec tear is disgusting. And yeah. once you've heard that sound, once you've heard that sound three or four times, trust me, you never want to hear that or see that again. So, the big thing I see with big strong guys, right? You know you can move load and. Even myself, right? I know I can probably lift 20, 30% more load than I do across any lift that I do. But for me to be able to do that, there's going to be a big trade-off. I will have to use a lot of momentum and I will have to probably use all the power in my might and probably throw my whole body into these movements to try and move the load from A to B. Now, doing that is only exposing my tendon to greater load. And I would even argue less tension in the muscle because... What you're trying to do then is just move the load as much for as much as much power as you physically can. I think sometimes this is where we get to a point where we get more advanced, we get stronger, we get much bigger, our tendons don't catch up, we load the bar up, and then we tear a shit. And that's the biggest thing that we see with people these days, especially now the guys that are trying to push for more. I think the patience aspect and the learning aspect and staying a little bit reserved with the loading, never with the, never with the training intensity, uh, you know, that, that should never have come to equation, but more so with the loading, I, I think that is always going to reap the rewards because if you can stay a little bit more reserved with loading, pay more focus and pay more attention into the execution, your control over the movements and intensity with that, I think you'll get much bigger rewards because let me tell you one thing, right? And, and I, I truly believe that it's much harder to go all out into a set with all out intensity and not lose control. If you go into any big compound lift, psyched up, you will be able to move that load, right? But it always must be much easier if you just go fucking bananas and you just bounce out of the hole. Sure. Now, it's so much harder locking into a set and knowing the pain that you will be from controlling the movement and then spending a little bit of time in the stretch and then powering up and then doing that over and over again for eight to 10 reps, for example, on a hack squat. I mean, that's another, that's another world of pain, right? It's so much more harder to do that because it's much easier to move load with no control. Yeah. Especially when, especially when you're trying to push these extra reps. When the pain gets higher, your pump gets, you know, painful, you're fighting against your body constantly. And I think that's some of the biggest mistakes that I see people make right now. Just chasing load for sake of load. And, and the same can even go with like pushing up the body weight. I mean, people just chase a scale weight for sake of, ch sake of chasing a scale weight, right? And it never ever translates to just a ton of muscle. It never does. And so, you know, it, it, there's so many tangents that can go from that, but these are definitely two most important variables and two most important mistakes that kind of, you know, run from a complete beginner all the way up until, you know, someone that's probably been training 20 years. And another thing that I've found as well these days is if people are known for the lifts on the gym floor or training a certain way, they sometimes will find it very hard to be open to ideas mm. or even try a different way. They're going to find it extremely hard. Like if someone's known for being extremely strong, for example, right? But they are getting to a point in their career where the risk versus reward isn't there and the loading at times is probably getting to a point where it's extremely risky. 
because they're so known for that, they will probably refuse to scale back the loading, which then in essence would probably make them a much better bodybuilder and see them progress much more. So there's so many things that we can probably talk about right now where, and, and every, everyone sat on this call, right? We can all probably agree upon it because we see it all the time on social media, right? Uh, and we see yeah. it all the time with just speaking to clients and speaking to athletes in general. Well, and I think too, I'm going to ask all you guys this because I've seen it. So I don't want to lead lead the witnesses here <laughs> or influence the answer. But I see the trend changing maybe just in the last few years where people are starting to get and understand that not training at 100% of your strength is not only safer because I think at first people were like, oh, okay, it's injury. It's yeah, I have a chance or a risk for, of injury, but that's just the only way or the, the best way to grow. I think people are actually buying in now and understanding that not only is it safer and it can help to reduce injuries, but it's more beneficial. You, know, you touched on something that I think is important. I have said like a broken record that intensity is far more important than maximizing the amount of weight that you're moving. And I'd go so far as to say this, and Eddie, you were kind of touching on it, so I'm wondering what you think with this. It's almost like the mentality of the set should be what, well, not only just to make the set as hard as possible versus just piling on as much weight, but how much can I tolerate versus how much weight can I lift? Because when it's how much weight I can lift, there's an end. And that's why I've always said, and I know that powerlifters come unglued when I say this, but powerlifting is nowhere near as difficult in the five to six range or the three range that a 15, 20 rep set of squats where you just literally feel like your heart is going to blow up and you can't get enough oxygen and you want to die. And you keep thinking, oh, shit, I, I just, I want to, like, I want my quads, I want my body to quit. And it, uh, I got I, I have another one in me. I have another one in me. And they just go slower and slower. And you're like, just get me out of this crappy set. <laughs> I think it's a level, it's almost a level of tolerance. And that's where the psychology tells to clients all the time. The, the set that you're in is almost more, it's far more psychological than it is physical in the sense of what can you tolerate? How long can you go in that set before you quit, not your body quits? That was like a five-pronged question. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was going to add, I, I, that's why it's great to train with a partner. You know, who yeah. someone who knows you and you got your goals are aligned and they're going to hold you accountable for quality reps. Mm-hmm. And when, you're, when your mind starts to falter, when you get to that 11, 12, 13, 14 reps on the hack squad or whatever exercise it might be, they're right there just to give you just, nope, one more. And maybe you get that one more done and they say, nope, one more. I know you got one more in you. Because they just literally put their hand on the bar just enough to keep you moving. I mean, I can't tell you how many times me and um, Nate Spear – we go through that every workout. It's 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 truly a gift to have a great training partner. I think having a training partner whose goals are aligned, they understand training, they understand the concept that we're talking about here, safe quality reps, right? That, that's basically what we're talking about, safe quality reps. See, to do that, yeah, you have to use appropriate loading because if you wasn't using appropriate loading, you wouldn't be safe enough to do so and you wouldn't be safe enough to be guided to get an extra reps. Now, to me, it's all about making the set as hard as possible, right? So the goal is never to move maximal load. The goal is to create as much tension and as much stimulus in the muscle. And sometimes loading up too heavy, it actually does the opposite because you've got, as much as people say mind to muscle connection doesn't matter. And to a degree, if you nail your training execution, you nail your setup, your mind to muscle connection is going to be there because it will be on, right? But Fact of the matter is, mind-to-muscle connection still plays a massive fucking role. It really does. So if you're loading above and beyond your means, there's not going to be any mind-to-muscle connection. And we've seen so much evidence, and Dr. Scott talks about this all the time, on the difference between just moving a load and then moving something with with the greater mind-to-muscle connection and actual feel of the muscle. So sometimes for me, especially in past, when I tried to chase certain loading, I actually look worse. My physique almost looked tired and flatter and almost constantly inflamed. And it's during the week that you hit 
just before you deload, where you feel like all shriveled up and just sore and horrible. That's exactly how I felt all the time. Now, with being able to chase quality reps, I think you get a different feeling where, yes, you still feel trashed majority of the time, and you should do, but it's a different feeling. You actually feel like you're not completely smashed and your central nervous system isn't wrecked all the time. It's just more so muscular pain that you feel mostly and not your connective tissue as well. And another thing that I've actually done recently is I don't wear any sleeves, no knee, no knee sleeves, no elbow sleeves, hmm. no wrist, no wrist supports, nothing. Because one thing I've noticed, especially with leg training, I, my leg training has always been, it's always been very easy for me to get strong. And I know for a fact, when I start loading Cybex hack for like seven plates, I'm going into that set just because I want to move that load and I want to put a heavy set in. But I come away from that set completely wrecked. And yes, my legs feel all right. But when I compare that to doing leg press first and then finishing a hack squat and then really making sure that I control that eccentric and even take a, a pause in the hole counting one, two, in the hack and then not exploding out the hole, but still being powerful, but making sure that intent is there on my quads. I come away from all these sets with my legs completely blown. Like I can do a self hack squat now and I can come away from it with the same feeling I would get from a leg extension where my legs are completely blown. Now, the difference that I've seen in not just my recovery, but the look is, is huge. And I'm not, I'm not actually using the same loads that I have been before. Uh, it is slightly less, but my goal now is to climb up to the same loads that I was using before with equipment, with no equipment, and keeping the same intent mm. on the muscle rather than just moving the load. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff we could go into with this one. I knew that you're always so passionate. Every time I see, if I'm on Instagram yeah. and I'm scrolling and there's one of your videos, I know I'm going to get something where you're you're like on fire. So. I knew we could get him going with this one, guys. I knew we could. What's what's yeah, this other it. topic we had here? We had. Uh, I'm going to start out by by bringing this picture up here. Oh, no, that's if the I was wrong one. A question, oh, that's the wrong one. But that's ask- a that's another good picture to bring up while we're at it, though. Congrats <laughs> on the work you've started doing uh, with Justin. Yeah, he's a great guy. He's a great guy. He's a he's a beast. He really is a beast. Very very strong and and very very powerful and explosive. So, he's a great example, right? Um, for Justin to keep going now, something needs to change or something will literally break. Mm. I mean, well, to that point, though, the- to that point, uh, did you know he actually, I don't know if he tore something in his quad, but he had something happen. He never mentioned it to us on the podcast, you guys, when we had him on. It had oh. happened a few days prior to that. He At, at the time we did the show, he didn't know if he was actually going to go and do the show. You're kidding me. Yeah. No, because it- I, I'll send a picture to you guys later, but the, the, the left quad was so inflamed, you didn't see a single line in it. Oh, um, geez, it looked smaller. You're me. It looked, yeah. And they did some great work in terms of massage and, um, you know, de inflammation. You can kind of see a tiny little bit now that you're nitpicking and looking, but on stage, you really couldn't see it. I was there three rows back. He looked oh. friggin' amazing. Um, but yeah, it's so, yeah, to, to your point, sorry to cut in. It's all good. I, I think it was his tensor muscle that, that, that was that was giving in, and, and that was giving him issues a, a little bit over time as well. Mm. Um, but, Look, that, that's sort of a great point. In prep, you've got to be careful, uh, especially mm. as certain compounds go in as your body fat gets lower. Uh, but one question, one question for you guys, right? What, what scares you the most in bodybuilding in, in, your, in your training career, as I would call it? Tearing something. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Hearing that pop that we talked about a little while ago. Yeah. You know? yeah. I'm the same. I'm the same. It's like I, I sit here and think sometimes, right? And I think like if I was to do something that would – put me out of training or potentially even limit my ability to train, that would literally be like world over for me. Yeah. So yeah. this is this is where I put a lot more emphasis on on really making sure that I can maximize my training. I can still go out and, and be as intense as possible, but limit because don't get me wrong, there's never going to be a complete void and completely you're never going to be able to completely remove that risk of injury, right? Because freak accidents happen. But fact of the matter is, if you take a, a little bit of a smarter approach to your training, you are going to limit that risk of injury to an absolute minimum. 
especially in a contest prep where you are going to be a lot more sensitive as you're coming down, as you're getting leaner. I mean, we've all done contest preps before, right? When we literally go into sessions and we can feel so fragile. I mean, you know, it, it's definitely a risky business from that perspective, but that's one thing that really scares me. And that, that's really opened my eyes up with just thinking outside the box of training a little bit. I think well, anybody, I think look, I'm, I'm the old guy here. So I gotta, I gotta play the old guy card. The older I get, the worse it is because an injury at 50 or 52 that puts you out for six, eight, two years um, that you're rehabbing from is completely different. It's bad enough when you're 30. You know, I injured myself. I tore a bicep doing chins when I was 30, 32. Yeah, it was bad, but I went and I ate Krispy Kremes for six months and I had, you know, got out of the gym and I had fun with my wife and my wife was loving that I wasn't training. It's a completely different situation. And I know being, I have limited time now to be able to do this. So it becomes more important or that time period becomes more concerning as you age as well. I want to throw something in too. I think that you have to, the opposite ends of things, Skip, the new guys, like the really young guys, the guys who have never been hurt, you, you get a sense of invincibility, sure. you know, training in the gym and yep. you start feeling like, Oh, it's not going to happen to me. I can keep going heavier and heavier mm-hmm. and heavier. So there's, there's gotta be, I think there's some moment for all of us where we do get hurt and that's where we recognize our mortality. And that's where we start looking at things the way you are, Kuba. It's really hard to get through to the guy who's never been hurt. You know what I mean? Yeah. See, uh, I've stood over Baz Barraclough, uh, one, one of the guys that trained in my gym. And he was benching five and a half plates for like a triple. And as I stood over him, his peck completely popped off oh, his chest. Oh, God. And then... I was watching another member called Matt benching five plates and same thing happened again. Is It came down and his pet just went, whoop, yeah. oh. oh. And I, seeing that, I can still remember it clear as day. And when I see so many things happen, uh, especially with the powerlifters at my place, it's, uh, it's something that I never ever want to see happen with myself because it's just... It's soul destroying, especially some of these guys like Baz. He had a, his pecs were unbelievable, and I mean, once you've had a pec tear, I, I don't care how good, you know. Right. Some people really can get away with it, but you know, we even got guys that are, are competing. You know, some of the top guys in the sport now that are, that are pros with pec tears, and it's just never going to be the same. Yeah, it, it never will. Well, to your point, also, it also like when they don't win a show, but they look great in the back of your mind, it's like, if they wouldn't have torn that peck, would they have won the show? You know, yes. I mean, we've had a couple guys win shows recently, like Charles Griffin and whatnot, but like some of these other shows, you know, maybe the Olympia, would his placing have been a little bit better if he didn't have that deficiency or Hunter Labrada, yeah. if he didn't have that little gap there, would he be moving up in placings just a little bit, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I, I, Andrew, that's actually an amazing point because think about this, right? Hunter versus Andrew. Mm-hmm. at Texas Pro mm-hmm. what if Hunter did not have that pector and his chest was a little bit fuller how would you have scored it mm-hmm. so I was there at that show and I so I, I was sitting there I will say this because I also got to see Hunter at the Tampa Pro just you know yeah. two weeks prior Hunter was a little bit off compared to the Tampa and Andrew Jacked brought that conditioning that we'd always been waiting for on him and his posing polish, like that was the biggest thing actually to me was that Hunter's known for his posing, right? Hunter looked very weathered in his posing within like the first, second round. Whereas Andrew Jack, Andrew Jack's front relaxed. He doesn't even need to pose it. He just opens his arms up and stands there. So there was that little bit too, but I know what you're saying there because I do feel like Hunter could be moving up a little bit in say like the Olympia or, you know, some of the other shows that he does um, if he didn't have that deficiency there. And you know, the other thing is, as someone that's, you know, because I've, I've had a torn bicep, it's always in the back of your mind. And it's a little, it creates a little bit of, um, what do you want to, like, a little bit of fear. Like, am I yeah, being judged? Yeah. So am I, am I not posing as proud or am I not opening up the way I would have if I didn't have that deficiency? I think that enters athletes' minds when they have a pec tear or a bicep tear or some kind of deficiency due to their training. Yeah, I thought you were going to go the other route with training. You're, you're saying from a presentation standpoint, and I agree, but I was thinking the um, – Oh, 100%. How well can – yeah. It, it, In the gym. And I've noticed this with my knee injury. Once you're back to 100%, even, even those people who can compartmentalize incredibly well, 
it's there. Mm-hmm. So you have a back injury and you're a hundred percent, but it's there. It's still fresh in your, in your mind. How long does that hold you back once you are a hundred percent? So you not only lose the time for the rehab, but then you lose the time until you psychologically can get past that injury and still train with the, in, the intensity that you want to use without thinking is today the day. Yeah. Getting anxious prior to going into the session, halfway through the session. Then there's this huge relief when the session is done. Like, oh, okay, I got another week mm-hmm. before I can F myself up again or have the potential to F myself up again. It's a very, very, it's a, it's a, it's physical, obviously. But then there's a psychological component that until you're there and you battle the injury or injuries, you, you can't really understand and respect how long that injury plays into your training and your progress. All right. Guys. Have you guys ever torn anything? Have you ever uh, torn anything? When I was 16, I actually tore the peck a little bit, my left peck, and you can like still a, see it. Like a little yeah, twinge, just but a, not a full tear? Just a, yeah, just a little twinge, but you can see it. You can see a little bit of difference. And it's all, it always just do macaroni. But I tell you what, I spent years training chest with like a slight little feeling in my peck. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't, it just did not go away for a long, long time. So and I think that's, remember- that's always been back of my mind. Sorry. That's always been back of my mind then where I approached my chest training in, in, in a bit of a different fashion where everything was always super controlled because it had to be, because I always felt that niggle. Well, so let me ask you this. Do you remember, can you go back to like the, the little twinge of a feeling you felt right before it actually tore? Do you remember that feeling? Like, it's hard to describe, but it's like a little, it's like it gets a little bit tighter on that one side right around the, you know, right where the, where the tie-in is. And back when I was younger, because I have, I have had the same thing happen to me several times. When I was younger, I would ignore that, right? And push through it. And then I had something very similar to what you're describing. Now, and even just to this day, yesterday, we were training chess and we, we programmed, an incline Smith press third in our routine for that very reason for, for injury prevention. Right. We got up to like three plates on it and i started to feel that twinge five, six reps. Nope. I just rock. I racked the thing. I'm done with it. I'm not, I'm not messing with it anymore. You know, whereas a younger me, you know, pre pre tear would have been like, ah, oh, it's just a little tight and would have kept on pushing through and ultimately might've actually done some real damage. I've, I've done that so many times. I had, right. I had a lot of twinge in my pack before. So I, I twinge my pack double pressing once. And I could feel like just a little, little muscular grade one pet, grade one tear, right? So I did another set just to make sure, just to make sure that it was all right. And I was like, this shouldn't feel like this because I'm in a world of pain, but I'm pressing it anyway. And then that was probably the stupidest idea. But luckily now we've got peptides, we've got all these little things and, you know, <laughs> little, little, little tears like that you can fix in a week. But if it's a big tear, especially tendon, you know, you're looking at a long, long time. So... Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I think the reason why we do this to speak about this, and we should speak about this really, is is more so to help people, open people's eyes, and prevent injuries for the future. Because imagine how many guys' careers could have been saved mm, potentially, yeah. potentially if they just scale things down a little bit, or maybe they didn't take that set that they shouldn't have done, and they knew in back of their mind they shouldn't be taking that set as well. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, we got to move on. We had some other stuff to talk about, and uh, we pulled this picture up of Nexzilla. And before the show, we were talking about the idea. Kuba, you you said that that people have been discussing, you've heard lately, of basically downsizing one body part in order to grow another. And this is the guy that came to mind, who this dude's like, he's absolutely incredible from head to toe, if you ask me. But Andrew, what were you saying uh, before the show about when you were looking at bringing his physique apart? Well, what I was saying was his legs are obviously his most advantageous body part. They're the most developed body part. They're probably the best legs in the eye. I don't know. That I mean, neck is pretty impressive. I mean, let's not, you know, <laughs> the neck is impressive that. too. But, 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 <laughs> but the legs are probably the best in the world right now uh, from a sheer size. Maybe he needs a little bit more separation in there. That's more of a peaking thing, probably. But what I did was is I'm looking because everyone's been saying, oh, you know, he should just stop training his legs completely or, Oh, like he needs to figure out some way to improve that upper body because he's got a weak upper body. A lot of people were throwing around the term, you know, weak upper body. And so what I just do is I, I put my hands over it. I'm doing it right now on the screen over his legs. And I look at his upper body and I say, 
well, shit, that's actually one of the best upper bodies in the world still. It's just that his legs are so well developed that it makes his upper body look weak. And so that opens up the discussion of what would we do if we were his coach or his training partner or some kind of advisor to help bring up his upper body? Would we advise not training his legs? Would we advise, you know, pulling him back to training every other week or taking periods of time off to give more recovery to that upper body? So, Kuba, what do you think? What would you do with this? Get, get the picture back up, uh, Scott. Please. I wanted to bring that one up first too. I want to bring that one up first too to see to see what Andrew was seeing here. So yeah, I mean, if you were to show me that, I'd be like, yeah, that dude is freaking jacked. First of all, you know what I'm saying? Without even seeing what the legs look like. So I think the first things first, we need to do a bit of a what I would call a bit of a nerdy way. It needs analysis, right? So what does he need to be a better bodybuilding climate placings? Obviously, apart from the obvious, his legs do not need to come up. His upper body needs to come up to match his legs, but. He's got beautiful ab structure, but the thing with Nick Fleen with him is that he's actually got really wide, wide hips and wide, abdo wide abdominals, right? So for him to be able to improve his physique, I do think he needs a lot more shoulders. And I would love to see him with a little bit of thicker chest as well. So when he does his side tricep, right? If he had a big old shelf, that side, that side chest and side tricep would look completely retarded. So... Let's, let's talk about a bit of a training split for, for Nexilla. Now, the way I would approach it is this. A chest and shoulders day. Then I would do back and arms or back and bicep. Then I would probably have him rest. And then I would do an arm day and a separate delt day. Then I would follow that with another rest day. And I'd repeat that. Now, every two weeks, I would have him do an actual leg day and tag some arms on with it. Um, I think that would be ideal because for him, he, he doesn't really need any more legs apart from, I would probably argue a little bit more hamstring. So we could probably throw a little bit more hamstring work in place and potentially add like another hamstring day and a bit of a delt day as well. Uh, because when you compare his hamstrings versus his actual quads, his quads right. do overpower his hamstring a little bit more as well. And to be honest, one thing I'd love to see on more people is a bigger hamstring because a big hamstring on any bodybuilder just looks sick. Yeah. And it's definitely, it's definitely a body part that you don't really see many people have. So in terms of training structure, I think that that's literally what he needs. Now, Andrew made a great, great point where he needs all the recoverability for his upper body because having such big legs, I imagine his legs are going to respond to very little anyway, but mm -hmm. having such a big body part, the recovery demand that would be created from training because of how big they are and sure. probably how strong he is, it would be huge. So it does make sense for him to actually train his legs at much lesser frequency. Now, I honestly think he would probably be getting away with, he would be able to get away with doing like two, maybe three working sets of quads. And I mean, hard, hard sets every two weeks max. He would lose nothing. He might even grow no. still. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's that. Yeah. It's possible. <laughs> you never know. Absolutely. I think he would. Pardon me. I could see that. I, I think, too, one thing to remember is we're talking about an advanced guy here. I, I, I think that a lot of our listeners, we do have a lot of guys, guys like you that are listening, but then we have the guys at the other end of the spectrum. How much muscle do you need to have before you actually decide, hey, I'm going to pull back on training my legs, for instance, or, you know, because because I, I hear it a lot of guys that, you know, men's physique, first time competitors, and they're like, ah, I need more chest, so I'm going to stop training my legs for now or something, you know? You know, you said he was advanced. The funny thing is, he's he, in, in terms of physique, yeah, he's one of the most advanced in the world. But in terms of time in the gym, he's he's yeah. a baby. I it's mean, he's, crazy too, yeah. isn't it? He, he might have some of the best genetics of a human being that's ever walked the earth to put on muscle. I mean, it's, I, it's, I hadn't it, seen that back. Go, and then I pulled, I was like, well, let's see what his back looks like. I'm thinking that as you guys are talking. So I pulled that picture. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. I mean, <laughs> that's he, wild. Yeah. It's yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Now, how many guys do you, do you have come to you and literally say, what body part do I need to work on when they're nowhere near a level to even win a pro card? Right. That's right. what I was getting the, at. Yeah. yeah. I yeah, mean, that's a good question. Yeah. It, it is a great point because the amount of times I, I literally have to tell people, you, you don't have to really worry about that unless you are already winning a pro card and potentially gunning for a pro win. If you are not at that level, there's a 95% chance you don't need to deprioritize anything. You just need to keep growing. Yeah, it's a great point. But 
That's a great point. The only the only thing I'll add is if they're in classic and the weight there's weight cutoffs and yeah. Um, you know, because classic is a look, it's not just hitting that weight, you know, height weight, um, uh, you know, so I will say there's a little bit more attention that needs to be paid with the classic guys, but, I, but I'm a hundred percent with you on the open guys that 99.9% are not at that level of, Oh, do I need to downplay this? Do I need to downplay that to make this you're hundred percent right about that. I'm pretty sure I have clients who are listening right now who are laughing because my response to the question of which muscle groups do I need to focus on in the off season is literally, and I'll do it one word every single every single muscle, and I put one word on each line, and then I laugh about it and make the point that, and it's hard to tell someone, you know, as a paying client, even a friend, to be honest with you, you're not to that level yet. I did it. I did it when I was, and I had to realize myself too. Oh, you're, you're, you're splitting hairs here. You're paying attention to minutia that doesn't matter at this point. You need to grow. So it's a, it's a very good question, and I think we probably all agree on the, the answer. It's just get big. And if you get too big, if you're in that half of a half of percent, <laughs> you're just too big. Then I guess you can pull back, and that's going to be a lot easier than you know getting too big. I would basically, say the problem is... Your ne- Sorry, Andrew. Uh, basically, no, no, you're you if, you're, if you're too big. <laughs> <laughs> I think the problem, though, with a lot of our clients is they hear from their friends. Oh, if you just bring up your lats. Or they hear from people in their gym, their community, right? Whereas, like, we're going to shows. We're seeing what's winning. We're, we know what it takes to get to that next level. It's kind of like, hey, can you just block out all this other stuff? Even I'll even say this. Sometimes, like, because you always have your clients go and get feedback from judges after shows, and the judges say, like, "Oh, bring your legs up," so that gets in their head, and it's like too much of a of an emphasis. Every email for the next month is like, "What are we going to do about my legs? What's the plan for to bring my legs up?" And 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 you're right, Kuba. The answer is still, you need to grow everywhere. You, you keep growing everywhere, your legs are going to come up. Yeah, it's actually a great point about judges' feedback, Andrew, because the amount of times I speak to people about the judges' feedback, and it's like, right. Let's take the judge's feedback and then let's compare your physique versus the guy that won. Mm-hmm. And judge's feedback here is completely irrelevant because the guy that won is still levels above and beyond to where you are. And I've actually mm-hmm. had that with, uh, with quite a few clients in figure and a few clients in bikini, believe it or not. And they got the feedback and I was like, look, please just completely disregard this because let's just compare your pictures, your front shot and your back shot with the winner of the show. Please look at the biggest difference here. Now, do you see what you need to work on? Now, do you see why I do not agree with the feedback? Yes, yes. Great. Let's crack on now. <laughs> a lot of times judges feel like they just got to say something. Yes, yeah. they do. Yeah. They yes, say they something. Do. And, then that's the and, and it's very difficult. Mind. People need to understand the judges can't remember. I'm sorry, but they can't remember every single competitor they can't we're making notes as quickly as we can make them but when you come up if you just walked off stage or we went up next to you while you're on stage it would be easier to give you feedback but you walk up uh, and bikini competitors and, and women are worse because i'm a guy so i walk up and i'm like oh god really super cute and then their husband's standing there and they're asking questions and you don't you know it's a, it's an awkward type of thing and i don't recognize them i don't see you in your suit You've got this oh, big, yeah. you know, you've got different clothes on. You've got, you know, it, it, I don't remember you. So then I have to go back to a number and then all it is is a number and and what you remember. It could be three seconds of something you remember. And I pay, you know, I, I assume other judges do too, but at these lower levels, you know, the, the state shows and even lower level regional shows and things like that, the judges, I'm sorry, but they're just not good enough. They aren't experienced yeah. enough typically to remember and then be able to assess. And my question is always, you're going to you're gonna take feedback from someone who has seen you for a total of two and a half minutes yeah. on stage versus me. Yeah, I'm just speaking for me, but any prop mm-hmm. coach who has been working with you and has seen you day in, day out for the last 20 some weeks. And that's only if we're prepping. I may have seen you for the last two years and seen your progress and your growth and everything else. There's one more caveat too. How many people have clients? Because we've all done this, so it's rhetorical. But anyway, how many people have clients as trainers who have been beaten strictly on structure alone? And you know mm. good and well that 
you could make every change from a muscular standpoint, condition standpoint, and you're still going to get beat because mm -hmm. their structure is so superior to yours and you have no control over that. So you have yeah. to play the hand you're dealt. You have to make those improvements on an individual basis based on what your genetic limitations are. But that doesn't mean that even when you make those changes that you're going to win. You didn't pick your parents right. And I know that because as much as I love my parents, I did not go top shelf when I was when I was, when I was shopping at the store for my parents from a genetic standpoint. That's amazing. That's right. my favorite saying. You've picked wrong parents. <laughs> you picked the wrong. I might have great health markers. I might live to be eighty years old and have cycled for thirty-five years. That's a pretty good gig. But I'm not going to win the Olympia tomorrow. Thanks, mom. You suck. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I was surprised, Kuba, to hear that you spent your first uh, six months squatting just the bar. You know, a lot of times I see a guy who's at the pro level and I think to myself, you know, of course, the, the, the stereotype in my head is, oh, this guy was probably strong his whole life. He picked up the bar and immediately put three plates on it. Don't get me wrong. Some lifts I was always strong at. Okay. <laughs> because, because at the time, they really wanted me to nail execution. Ah. It, it, it was literally just draining with the bar. Every single Sunday morning, they'd be like, right, you're squatting the bar, you're squatting the bar. And then when I finally got like the perfect movement, they was like, right, let's load it. And when I got it, the, the loading came so quick. Yep. I mean, the, the, the first few months, and I was squatting 100 kilo for reps. Um, and I was like at 16. And then 17, I was doing three, three and a half plates. Um, and like 18, I was doing four, four and a half, then five, then six. So it's, you know, it, it definitely flew, definitely flew. Um, but to be honest, genetics wise, look, we all got to play the cards that we're dealt with, right? My, my, genetic, my genetics are not elite, but they're all right. They, they've got me to where I am, I suppose. And I've definitely been, uh, been blessed with okay genetics to be able to do this. But, you know, I'm never going to miss Olympia, uh, you know, under no delusion of that. And uh, I'm definitely very much a realist and, and definitely very honest with myself. And I think many more people should be honest with themselves as well when it comes yeah. to that. They'd have a lot more fun with the sport if they did. 100%. 100%. I want to go off. I want to go on a, on that tangent a little bit because how many times do you Let's get go. clients that are like, because <laughs> I love hearing you say that, an accomplished pro understands his lane, understands how far he can go and improve if he does the right things. Like I love hearing that because it's a very rational way to look at the sport and, and while still staying, uh, keeping yourself healthy and sane in the process. But how often do you get people that they're like, I want to win my first show. I want to do nationals and win the overall the year after that. And then I want to win my first pro show two weeks after that and be in the Olympia by the time I'm 22. And it's like, you need a dose of reality kid. Like that's just not in the cards for you. There's like four people that are alive at any one time that can be Mr. Olympia, right? Like, yeah. like legitimately, there's only like four or five yeah. people that could be Mr. Olympia if they're with the right prep coach who peaks them right. That, that That's the, that's the, that's what it is. You know, what do you guys think of that? I'll wait. I'll wait. I'll wait. I'll, I'll, I'll skip the first. Well, I just think it's funny because that's how I thought as a teenager, winning the Olympia Same. was just a formality. <laughs> All I had, to, it wasn't, I, I mean, it's laughable. It's almost embarrassing to say, but that's the part that is so funny to me. And I think why, when I see kids, I'm different when I see kids in the gym, I'm almost envious because they don't have the perfectionist mentality. Mm -hmm. They're just in there to train and they're really enjoying it. And that's why I have a hard time giving kids a hard time for peeling off their shirt and posing in the mirror when I really want to slap them. I mean, and I know, I know that that one guy that I gave that feedback to on the page is going to be upset about that, but that's the truth of it. It's just such a bizarre way to look at things. I look at him and I go, man, I was there. I used to love, and I love training. Don't get me wrong. I'd love it or I wouldn't do it, but I love it only when I'm there. I don't like it mm -hmm. until I get there because I have 8 million other things to do and I love it when I'm there and I love it when it's done and I love a good rest day and a Saturday and Sunday when I don't train. So it, it's, there's, there's far, it, you guys know this, it's far more complicated, it's far more nuanced than we ever thought it would be when we first picked up a weight when we were younger and it was, it was arguably more enjoyable, it was less stressful. So to have that mentality, I get it and I understand where it comes from. But I also think that as a friend or as a trainer, and especially as a trainer, uh, you, need to, you need to be honest and, and you have to be able to 
to check these people because eventually they're going to get it. And, it. and usually it's when they walk off stage and they're absolutely devastated. Sometimes they don't skip. Sometimes they don't. True. That's true. I, I like to think at some point a rational, sensical person, though, um, kind of comes of age and they realize, oh, man, I'm just not really good at this. And hopefully by then they've 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 kind of nurtured that passion and they love. I'm a good example. I mean, I, I just love the process. I, I'm I'm not you know I'm going in and I'm battling for third and I'll win in a mediocre field. You know, win a class in a mediocre field. I'm I'm good with that though. It's just something I love the process. The standing on stage I could do without other people. They just in this I'm sorry to sound old when I say this, but this current this younger generation is all about the finish line. And that's what I I think that's another thing with our older the older demographic, the the veterans, the people who've been around for a long time. That passion of training is there because it was there before the attention of social media and it was there before all the pats and the likes and and you're awesome and oh you look, you know, it's it's like an ugly woman going on on Facebook and and posting a picture, and all of their friends tell them how gorgeous they are. When you know damn well you, she's not gorgeous, like they're just your friends. What are they going to tell you? It's your mom telling you you're going to win. It's your girlfriend telling you you got robbed, and and you know your bros telling you the same thing. That's the times that we live in now. That passion for the journey is not there. I had to actually sit back and get all worked up about this, but the passion for the journey isn't what it used to be it's more focused on the finish line and that's yeah that's that's disappointing all this right is exactly no, why, this is exactly why i want to skip to go first because <laughs> <laughs> I, listen i was extremely fortunate to start a gym where you didn't even think about competing competing is something that people did when they was good enough thank to you compete yes mm-hmm. like it was literally like right you've been training long enough that you actually look like you could do all right in a bodybuilding show. Therefore, you've kind of earned the right to do one. But it was literally the best guys in the gym that considered competing. And that that's pretty much how, how my journey started. You know, it was never about social media, never about competing itself. Competing itself was like the cherry on top, right? It was just right. all about training and, and, and putting in the work. Yeah. You were in a select group, a very... Mm-hmm. Uh, a very small group. I'd even argue too, and I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but I have to still ask this question. There's almost this, where did all this confidence come from, from the generation? I was insecure. Most of us were like, oh, I'm going to hold back. It's the same thing with trainers. Let's be honest. Nobody 20 years ago or 25 years ago, uh, even 18 years ago, 15 years ago, would jump and go, oh, I'm a trainer. Just out of respect, there were a lot of people who could train people that that probably would have been good at it, but they held back because they didn't feel that there that it was earned or deserved. There wasn't this current level of this just this bizarre level of confidence that we're all so good at everything we're going to do. I don't where where did this come from? I don't okay, get off my lawn. I'm done. Uh, do we have some questions, Scott? We got a bunch of them. Yeah. We've got one. So I've got some over in the Facebook group for Think Big and then I put up a thread in Instagram too. So I'm going to start with this from from Tommy James. He says, uh, what's the biggest difference that you see in amateur bodybuilding in Europe versus the United States? It's a good one. That's good. Yeah, it's good. The posing number one. I see girls standing there with their arms out like this, and I'm like, "What's going on? I don't know what that is." In the bikini class, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, Andrew. They do like this, like, yeah, but arm it's become more. Thing. It's become more central. It's become more, more similar to how we do it in the U.S. So I know what you're talking about. Over the last maybe in, ten to five years ago, but it's it shifted more as the NPC worldwide has kind of taken over, homogenized. So, in, yeah. in Europe, in, in Europe, you've just got a lot more different federations. In USA, there's just NPC, right? Um, in UK alone, there's probably about six, seven different federations, and they all have different posing. They all have different criteria. They all have different judging. It's uh, it's a bit of a mess, to be honest. I'm not going to lie, because you've got guys that are legit good bodybuilders that will enter the shit. Sorry, pardon me, pardon my French. That will enter this this lower level feds with terrible judging and they will get beat by worse bodybuilders because the judging is just awful. Um, so I think that that's the biggest difference. If that's what, if that's what he's implying to, uh, in terms of like bodybuilding. What is, what would be the top? Is the NPC becoming the top, um, you know, federation in the, in the European, you know, 
would you say? Yeah, they're kind of fighting it out, though, right? There's a lot of infighting yeah. and a lot of political stuff going on over there. You know, it depends which which country. Obviously, NPC is always going to be the biggest, but mm. like in Germany and stuff like that, you've still got NAC, uh, a federation called NAC that's quite big. Uh, in UK, NABA used to, used to be quite big before lockdown. Um, but to be honest, NPC will, will and will continue to take over because of the quality of the judging and quality of the athletes. That That's just, mm. that's always going to elevate the standards always. Um, the, all think, the other feds will just always just be there in, in, in the back, you know, trying. I think also, I think the majority of athletes know that the IFBB Federation is the federation. If they want to make it a, a shot at the Olympia or the shot at the Arnold Classic, then you go through the NPC to get a pro card in, in the IFBB. I think that's probably a driving force as well. Yeah, for sure. All right. How about this one? Um, do you find it useful on a, uh, do you find do you find useful a bigger cut during a long off season, say two years plus? So I think he's talking about like recomping during the, the middle of a, of an off season phase. So I can take you through what I did taking pretty much 12 months off. Um, I did my post show, which was a, a recovery phase, uh, pretty much six, six weeks. I didn't really need longer because my blood work was still great. And I only did like 13, 14 weeks cycle from the, from the show. Um, and then I did a 24 week push up after that. Um, and I actually hit 52 pounds above my stage weight by the end of the push up. When I hit that, that is when I did a 10 week diet after that, before the next push up. Uh, I got to a point not only where my body weight was high, food was super high, I was inflamed. I needed a reset to then continue growing. I think people that try to perma bulk get to a certain point where they grow. And then no growth happens. And I would even argue that most people get to a certain set point with body fat where the body's not really in a place where, one, the food is going to be doing anything, but secondly, where the drugs are going to do anything of value because I do think the more body fat you carry, the more inflamed you are, the worse response you actually get from drugs. So if you are looking to go into a gaining phase, you should always start nice and lean, pretty much for those reasons. Um, your body will always be more responsive. So I, I'm definitely a massive advocate of that. But when you take an off-season, for example, and you've got, let's say, 40 weeks planned out of that off-season, out of that 40 weeks, I would probably only want to see you diet for 10 weeks, providing that 40 week came off the back of a contest prep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Makes sense. Yeah. I also want to point out that Kuba mentioned that he did a 13 week cycle into his show, not a 36 you know week <laughs> prep and not a, not a year long cycle into the show. And then he was healthy and had plenty of room to push on the back end of it as he put that 52 pounds up. It, it's not uncommon over here to get to see clients or to see people that um, will do like a half of a year drug cycle into a show and then wonder sure. why they're not getting results at the end of that. Like their body's just over drugged. Yeah. So I, I, I'll be honest with you. Now I just finished my cycle. I, I did 22 weeks, mm -hmm. uh, and now actually I'm actually going to do six weeks off now before my actual prep. So now I've actually done a bit, a bit of a diet phase. I've come down 20 pounds ish, and then I'll be looking to hold my condition now, come off, get nice and healthy, and then I'll actually kickstart my prep from a leaner start point and a healthier start point because then I know my body will be flying the prep will be you'll grow uh, you'll grow into the show the pieces yeah yeah absolutely it'll be it'll be super easy right on kind of related uh do you believe in post-show rebound gains if so how would you approach it i'll let the gentleman go first i'm not gonna go first everyone i think we all together can say yes i mean <laughs> to, that's that part of the question is very very simple because there's absolutely a rebound phase it's insulin sensitivity you know we've we've harped on that for a long time insulin sensitivity either growing or cutting is just it's one of the major key factors if not the key factor for progressing um the second part of the question what was the second part of the question um if so how do you approach it yeah there you go andrew run with it yeah, I like the way yeah, that's good. Simple part of the question. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, was, that was a nice lead in. I'm actually going to go one step backwards just for a second, only because I think it's a case by case basis. And I think it's based on how hard that client had to work to get into condition. You know, True. like if somebody was on, you know, six weeks of next to no carbs, very few refeeds, you know, two hours of cardio, and their body just barely made it to the finish line. 
I'm not in a, I, I usually am not going to push a hard rebound after that. I'm going to try to do a normalization phase for a few weeks, especially with females. With females, it's really more of a factor of getting the hormones back online, pulling the PEDs out and getting them healthy again so that we can then put them in a position for a longer term growth phase after that phase. But with a, you know, a general guy, say these guys doing nationals, we'll take Justin Abbott, you know, for instance, you know, he had a great contest prep. He was eating plenty of food going into it. You know, besides that little injury, I think it was a really smooth prep. Someone like him is in a great position. He's super insulin sensitive to really have a nice 10, 12, 14 week push up phase and probably put on a good 30 pounds of solid mass before he starts to lose his lines. So absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm definitely on down on board with that. So my point of view is changing this a little bit and it all depends on someone's ability to idea post show. Um, the, the most effective approach I've seen is if, if I know someone can idea and they're not going to binge, they, they can actually, they can actually withstand the hunger post show. I prefer to actually do a recovery phase and then a push up. But in that recovery phase, I actually don't want them to come up any more than between 10 to 15 pounds. And if they're able to do that, that will then set them up for a 20, 24 week push up where you can pretty much add 50 pounds of, of muscle, uh, well, not of muscle, but 50 pounds of body weight, right? And by the end of that, by the end of that total time frame of like 30 weeks, they would still be relatively lean, but that would mean a very controlled and slow rate of gain over that time. And unfortunately, only very few people can do that because I'll be honest with you, I did that after my show last year. And five months after my show, I was still clock watching my meals. I was that hungry still five months post show. Mm -hmm. yeah. and How many times it was the off season, a lot of times is pretty much just like prep from a structure you know, meal timing standpoint, it's just more, yeah. <laughs> it's still uh, just it, as regimented. And you're right. Very few people, very few people can do that vacation here or there. It, it can yeah. really, I don't want to say blow it, but it can, it, it can, it. It can <laughs> yeah, it there's can. no other it way can. to put it. Yeah, it can. Yep. Yep. I also um, want to drop a little plug for my own classes here. I, I do these uh, classes for other coaches. I call it coaching other coaches. And um, I do have one for the post-show phase specifically coming out. I, I meant to have it out already by the time nationals was done, but you know, you get busy. I'm going to sure. have a separate men and a female and a separate male class because I do treat them very differently. You know, like in terms of males, you know, males, it's always like, we got to check their health due to the PED load. With females, it's more an issue of their hormone health. You know, are, are they too estrogen dominant? Are they are their adrenals smoked? Are they in a place where we absolutely need to pull back before we push? So look for that in the future. I'll be dropping it on my Instagram and other social media stuff to, uh, yeah, Matt, I see your link. Uh, I'll definitely have a link on my Instagram and my stories on my page. So look for that in the near future. I'm almost on the PowerPoints. All right. How about the That's a great idea, man. It's a great idea as many people treat uh, women the same as men. And so great idea. They're not gotta, little men, you know. I've got just a couple more here. Um, Some of them are. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that That's was good. uncalled That's good. for. What, yeah. the, what is the highest amount of cardio and lowest amount of calories, if you if you count calories, that you've done on a prep? Personally, I don't count calories, and I don't want to know. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm not going to try to add it up when I'm at my lowest. I don't know about you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a macro guy for that reason. I try to pull the, pull clients away from the the calorie game, especially when it comes to females. Uh, then I found out that uh, I thought it was so brilliant. And then I found out that they can do math very well <laughs> because their next response to me is typically, well, this is only X amount of calories. You know, it's funny because, and I think you guys have seen this too, <clears throat> the black and white blanket statements that are made on the internet by trainers who want to get attention. So they go after, they use their one female client who could take in this excessive, ridiculous amount of calories and get shredded due to picking her parents correctly. And, um, you know, everybody else, yeah, everyone else is uh, stupid and every other trainer has, is ruining, you know, females, metabolisms and everything else. Uh, mm -hmm. when push comes to shove, I mean, sometimes look, and it's funny to say how the question is how much cardio, cause they want to see what the extreme is, but I might have a client who's 92 pounds on stage mm -hmm. because she's five foot tall. So her calories are going to be, are, it could be, not will be, because I've said before, and I'll say again, I've had NFL linemen on the same caloric intake as 130 pound, you know, 
figure girl or, or something like that based on, and that's why these formulas are so funny to me because mm -hmm. they don't mean much of anything. Metabolic rate has really nothing to do or very little to do with the size of a person or what they weigh on a scale. Thank you. <clears throat> so there's a lot of factors there, but you could have someone on, you know, 900 calories and two and a half hours of cardio. It, it happens a lot. It's how long they're going to be there. If that's a low day, if that is for seven weeks at a time and yeah. then two and a half. And the other part is not just cycling. I know I say the same things over and over, but it's I just want to drive it into people's heads. There's cycling caloric intake, but there's also cycling caloric output. And to cycle one without cycling the other just seems nonsensical to me. So you don't just want to hammer someone with a ridiculous amount of cardio for days on end. And you don't want to hammer someone with low caloric intake for days or weeks on end either. It's a, it's a, it's a game of balance. You guys know this. It's tweaking. It's fine. To, it's if it were as easy as just taking this amount of calories and do this amount of cardio, none of us would. The rest of us, we'd all have regular jobs and and we would hate our lives. <laughs> Two thousand and fourteen. I had to do two and a half hours cardio and six fish and green beans meals because I started prep very very fat. So that was that was pretty much the last eight weeks of prep for me. You beat yeah. me. I'd been to like two hours. That was my my tops ever. Two oh, and a wow. half, man, that's a lot of cardio. But I mean two yeah, isn't was, much uh, much less. Oh, I, I did was three in two thousand eighteen. You did three? Not to be a one not to be a one upper. <laughs> yeah, but not to be like a one you know, but no, like it was literally I felt like my whole day was cardio. It was broken up into forty five minute uh, blocks and then uh and it was also like uh I didn't do fish that year, but it was it was literally chicken and, and, and green beans or chicken and spinach every meal for with the exception of like a thousand ca uh, carb refeed, you know, once every two weeks for a while there. And it wasn't even like I started out that prep really fat. It was my body just stopped responding for yeah, some reason. It, it was, yeah. And, and you know, I think it was when I really started getting busy with coaching and I stopped, here's the other big thing. I stopped doing a lot of in-person training. Cause you know, when you're on your feet training, people, oh, yeah. even though you're just standing there doing steps, like you could walk away from a shift of, with 15,000 steps before you do cardio, before you do any of your other exercise activities. And I really got busy with online coaching then. And I stopped doing the training and I was in a chair all day. So yeah. I had to do a shit ton of cardio. And yeah, that was not a fun year. All right. A uh, guy named Justin Wyatt says, LOL, what do you think about Justin Abbott? That's <laughs> you already talked about him. Yeah. <laughs> legends, and, legends. And uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll last, say this. I, yeah. I got something to add about it. Yeah. I, and this isn't just me speaking because we had him on the show. This isn't just because, you know, I'm friends with him online. Uh, there were three, four or five of us sitting in a row that were really surprised when the light heavy beat him in the overall. Um, yeah. You know, I was the light heavy a little prettier somewhat in some cases, but I just don't think you could have gotten over Justin's density, especially in the most muscular, the side shots, like his side tricep. Like I'd never seen. I didn't think a big guy could pull off a side tricep as beautiful hmm. as he did. You know, and it's um, st still it's still pretty as well. It's not as if it's physique, you know. Is absolutely, yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. The, I think the only thing that hurt him, and I know these judges, they love a pretty front double. The other kid had a nice front double, and I think that just stuck in their mind, you know, for the rest of the posing class. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I had him winning. It's the first Sometimes shot. I think don't sleep with the right people. I mean, this guy's yeah. got to learn the game, okay? <laughs> That's that for any of our listeners that didn't know, he did win super heavies, and he did get his pro card. So he just we're talking about the overall, just for anybody that wasn't up to date on that. And then and then one more, Kuba. Um, do you laugh and goof around a lot when you're not training? Or are you and Meg just, like, always serious? Just like, we got to cook our next <laughs> meal. We got to be hardcore. <laughs> so in the gym... Maybe sometimes between the sets, but in the gym, it's, it's we, we don't really mess around in the gym, but at home, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of banter. It's a lot of fun. I'm not, yeah, it's uh, around training time. It, it's fun time, but whilst I'm training, it's, uh, you know, got to, got to switch the head on. Do you guys have anything else for him? And the thing is training time as well, for me, it's the only time in my day where I, I truly get time out for myself. So, yeah. It's like, if I'm training, that's my time, not yeah. nobody else's. Like my, my phone, my phone and my work phone is in the car. Like, yeah. I, I, like there's no, 
there's nobody bothering me for that time. It could be, you know, anything could be happening. So, yeah. And around the training time, it, it's fun time, you know. It's fun time relative to the occasion, right? Because training is fun, especially when you've got no phones around you and nobody yeah. bugging you. So, it just looks a little serious because, you know, you want to get intense. <laughs> but do you, do you train at your own gym? Uh, yes, most of the time. But so people I, don't look, bother you. People aren't like, hey, Cuba, that machine's broken or, you know, uh, stuff like, hey, how's it going, man? You know, all that the whole time. So the staff now know to, whilst I'm training, I get left alone. No, nobody, yeah. nobody really bothers me. Uh, unless unless some people visit the gym, then say hello and stuff like that, which, you know, I'm always going to say hello to people. I think anybody that doesn't, they're just, a, they're just a, you know, they're not a nice person, right? Uh, because... It's never going to take away from a session to have a picture of someone or say hello to someone, have a conversation with someone, right? As long as they're not really taking up too much of your time, you're good. Uh, but the staff always, always just, anything that needs addressing, we speak about it before or after training. Whilst I'm training, it's it's my time. Right on. Right on. Well, I think that's a good approach because it's got to tell people all the time, it's going to come a time when no one's going to care what you do or who you are. And if anybody in, in the interim thinks that you're important enough that they want to say hi to you or take a picture with you, be flattered because not, not everybody, not everybody has that. And it, it isn't always going to be like that. Yeah. Absolutely. And look, ultimately it's, uh, you know, it, it's never going to take away from a session either. So I, I never understood people that are always like, do you know what's the training? Well, like, don't speak to them training. It's like, who, who do you think you are? It's like, you know, you, you just you're just a bodybuilder. You're not really anybody. You know, so just remember that. <laughs> all right. Well, with all that said, Kuba, we appreciate you taking time out, man. While you're hanging out over there. Oh, looks like we we lost Andrew. I guess Andrew's out. He's got Andrew other left. To do. He was like, oh, the show's about to end. I'm, I'm done. I got is, yeah stuff is to do. Enough? Is that enough? Is that yeah. enough? We appreciate you uh, hanging out with us, man, and taking the time while you're hanging out there in Spain. And uh, we can't wait to see what happens this next season with you, too. I'm sure everybody's going to be following along on your social media and on your YouTube channel. Guys, thanks so much for having me on. And uh, it was great to meet Andrew and Skip, officially. Uh, Very through, cool. Obviously, uh, good to have through you the on. call. But yeah, much appreciated, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, good to have you on, too, man. Thank you.